Welcome to the Tactics Meeting, where we talk to subject matter experts about response tactics and technology. Today is episode 13, where we will be exploring Eastern Canada Response Corporation with their Western Region Manager, Robert Starks. But before we start, do me a favor, send an email to a colleague introducing them to the show. Help us spread the word to the rest of the response community. Now let's get to this amazing episode. Robert Starks, Atlantic Region Manager for ECRC. Welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on and sharing your experiences with us. As we kick off, tell us, how did you get started in the oil spill response industry? What brought you to ECRC? So Dan, for me, uh, I've been involved with ECRC, I think since its first week of operation. Uh, So that goes back to 1995. I was living in St. John's, Newfoundland, and uh, I was attending university at the time. And as part of my uh, supporting myself at the time, I owned a fiberglass uh, business and a boat building business, repairing wooden boats. And uh, ECRC was setting up their operation. And somehow I got contacted by them um, to make some modification to their Boston Whaler boats, uh, building a, a wheelhouse on them. So I went there, I saw them setting up, and this was their first week of, of uh, setup. And so I bid on the job. I got the job, uh, worked with them for a number of months, saw their setup. And uh, after that, of course, I continued in university, um, but stayed in touch with ECRC. Uh, in 1996, uh, they started doing, in 1995, sorry, Uh, They started doing uh, training, and I came on as a responder uh, with them and um, advanced from there. As I graduated from university, I came on as as an advisor as part of their spill management team. And then I went to work locally for a consulting company doing uh, environmental work, uh, a lot of uh, coastal shoreline mapping. Uh, so a lot of the work that we do for shoreline segmentation now that, that's used in SCAT, uh, I did about 8,000 kilometers of that. Uh, so that gave me some, some real teeth into understanding uh, shoreline response. You wore out some boots doing that. Uh, it was mostly from the air, Dan. Uh, e- even back then, that was uh, looking at uh, video. Uh, for the most part, and and of course, looking out the the window of a helicopter. Um, and then an opportunity for to join ECRC came in in 2000, uh, and I joined ECRC in on January 1st, or I guess whatever the Monday was, uh, January 2nd uh, in 2000 uh, in uh, Newfoundland, and then I've advanced through uh, various positions, uh, and I'm currently the uh, region manager for Atlantic Canada, and I'm based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And we met during Can US Land when Shell was the volunteer responsible party for the uh, exercise. And what was that, 2016, maybe? 
Yeah, I think it was. And I think then there may have been other uh, exercises um, that maybe when you're with uh, NJ Resources, there was a couple of other um, uh, uh, large-scale exercises, I thought, in Halifax. Um, but certainly we were on the Canyon Slant uh, together. Yeah, Halifax, and I was in um, St. John's once, I believe. And I remember one of the standouts in Halifax was how good the sushi was. I was... Uh, I'll, uh, that, that sounds about right. It was, it was, they had butterfish. I'd never had it before. It was quite delicious. For all of you who like sushi, Canada, great destination. So Robert, can you take a minute and just tell me a bit about ECRC? Yeah, Dan, I'd be happy to. So ECRC is one of four response organizations in Canada. Uh, we're 50 employees. We've got uh, six response centers, six staff response centers, uh, located uh, three in, in the province of Quebec, one in Ontario, one in Nova Scotia, and one in Newfoundland and Labrador. And we have a head office in, in Ottawa. Uh, we've been uh, certified since 1995. Um, and we cover uh, a significant portion of Canada that we call our geographic area response that stretches from the BC Alberta border all the way out to across Canada, out to the 200 mile limit and north to 60 degrees. You cover all the way from the BC Alberta border. We do. Uh, that and that's what we call our, our GAR or geographic area of response. Uh, and I think then one of the things, one of the things that that challenge gives us uh, is experience in a wide diversity of environments. Uh, so if we think about in the West, in the prairies. Uh, where there's uh, pipelines and rail, uh, there's experience that we have from responding in a lake to a beaver pond and rivers. And then as we come east, of course, we've got the Great Lakes, uh, largest lakes in the world. And then the St. Lawrence Seaway, a large body of, of moving water. And then as we continue east uh, into the maritime provinces and Atlantic Canada, um, We've got a lot of shoreline, a lot of exposed areas. Um, we have all seasons uh, as well. And uh, there can be quite a diversity in season, um, even on the same date. So the southern part of our gar may have 20 degrees Celsius, and the northern part of the gar uh, may still be zero. So it's, it's a lot to think about in terms of being prepared for response. Well, and my experience is primarily on water oil spill response and shoreline cleanups, but to cover what is literally thousands of miles of railroads and pipelines across that huge geographic area, that has got to be quite a challenge. Uh, I will say yes, but I think that we manage it. Uh, I think that we've organized ourselves as three 
uh, distinct regions. So Great Lakes region, Quebec region, and Atlantic region. And that kind of corresponds to some of the geography uh, in, in terms of the different operating environments. So in Great Lakes, uh, from a river response perspective, uh, they've certainly developed some capability. Uh, in addition with Quebec, they, they have some similar environments. And in particular, I guess, just to touch on one uh, aspect of work that we do is responding in ice. Uh, so we don't have a lot of ice covered waters on the East Coast. Uh, you know, maybe there's, there's a certain portion of the year in the marine environment, we'll, we will see ice covered waters, but it's a much bigger challenge in freshwater. So in, uh, in areas of Ontario, of Quebec. Um, it is a very specialized skill that we've developed a lot of expertise in, in responding to oil under ice. Robert, can you talk about responding to oil spills within tidal inlets in Western Canada? Tidal inlets present a, uh, a particular challenge for oil spill responders. Uh, fast reversing currents, uh, shoals, shallow water, uh, potential for obstructions, uh, and then of course the exposed uh, coastal area um, with breaking waves often at the entrance to, to these tidal inlets. And then of course the, the back bays of tidal inlets are particularly sensitive and may have uh, a large expanse of salt marsh, mud flats, uh, which when we think about sensitivity are some of the most sensitive types of uh, response environments. So for a number of years now, we've been looking at uh, being better prepared for tidal inlets. Uh, and you probably have seen this yourself that on uh, the geographic response strategies or the GRPs, uh, it's not uncommon to see a straight piece of boom put across a, a tidal inlet. And um, th that's really not realistic. Uh, and of course, there, there's specialized techniques uh, in terms of angle uh, and also the type of boom, but it takes, it takes a particular understanding of how to anchor uh, when you don't have solid substrates, uh, the types of rope, the types of safety procedures to deal with tidal inlets. So we've we've run numerous workshops on responding in tidal inlets. Uh, a couple of years ago, we presented at uh, Clean Pacific and also at uh, AMOP conference on the particular challenges uh, for tidal inlets. And I think it was really to raise awareness that you simply can't, you need to do more to be prepared that for the conventional techniques that work in uh, normal environments, so current speeds, let's say up to one knot, uh, we can do a lot with, with conventional boom. Uh, but in tidal inlets where uh, speeds can be much faster, four or five knots, uh, then you need to apply different techniques. And um, in an tidal environment, of course, those currents reverse direction. So what worked six hours ago needs to be monitored and checked and sometimes adjusted to account for the change in the current. 
some of the techniques that are applicable to rivers uh, are also applicable to tidal inlets. And I think that we piggyback from some of our um, experience in rivers to really look at that for the Atlantic coast. Uh, there's literally hundreds of tidal inlets. And you know, for some of your, your listeners who are wondering what a tidal inlet is, um, it, it's a geomorphic feature. Uh, it's really just a narrow opening in the coast where there's uh, an exchange of water. And that exchange of water is, is called the tidal prism. And there can be tens of square kilometers um, in behind that, that, uh, that point at the coast where the inlet is. Uh, and the inlets are typically formed by, uh, by spits or recurved spits, uh, or they may be an artificial feature, um, you know, where there's docks and piers put in place that, that might uh, create that. So tidal inlets are a key feature of response, certainly in Atlantic Canada. So how is ECRC related to WCMRC in British Columbia? Are you divisions of the same organization? Are you cousins? Are you completely separate organizations? How does that work? Uh, I, th I think I'll say that we're cousins uh, in that uh, we do share some of the same shareholders. Uh, and in fact, uh, we do share some of the same board of directors um, on both, both organizations. So of course it's Western Canada and there's a, there is a geographic divide. Uh, WCMRC is responsible for uh, BC, but that leaves an awful lot of the rest of Canada uh, that's part of ECRC's uh, geographic area of response or, or GAR. Uh, so we have a great relationship with WCMRC, but there's also two other response organizations in Canada. There's a total of four. Uh, Alert, so Atlantic Emergency Response Team in St. John, New Brunswick, and they've, they're responsible for a power area of 50 nautical miles. And then another in Nova Scotia, PTMS, or Point Topper Marine Services, uh, based in Point Topper, and they're a 50 nautical mile radius around uh, the port of Point Topper. So uh, I would say that uh, there's great relationships uh, that were cousins with each of them, if I could put it that way. And unlike uh, WCMRC, you actually have offshore drilling and exploration. We don't have any of that out here on the West Coast. How does that make your response posture different than your West Coast cousin? So that might take a little bit of backing up, um, uh, perhaps even to the beginning to talk a little bit about just a regulatory regime uh, in, in Canada. And then I'll, uh, maybe I can then slide into talking about offshore. Um, so ECRC, similar to each of the other response organizations, um, we're certified by Transport Canada. And that's under uh, the Canada Shipping Act 2001. And the Canada Shipping Act is applicable to ships of a certain size, so 400 tons nominally or 150 tons for a, a small tanker, and also applicable to oil handling facilities. Um, so that's the bulk of our membership. We've got about 
2,300 ship clients uh, and about um, just over 90 uh, oil handling facilities. So that's the Canada Shipping Act side. Beyond that, though, there, there was certainly a recognized need, and there was a vacuum for it, for response capability for other than ships for, and uh, oil handling facilities. So things like the offshore, pipelines, rail, hydroelectric generating stations that have oil on site, none of those um, entities uh, were covered under the Canada Shipping Act. So we have what we call subscriber agreements with those organizations that choose to have an agreement with ECRC and we provide uh, response services to them. And I'll, maybe I'll just touch now into the offshore. We have a fully funded separate division uh, based in St. John's, Newfoundland that provides preparedness services for the offshore. So we have a preparedness division and um, that involves you know, the standard fare of, of support services, things like tier one for small equipment on board vessels, tier two services for larger equipment like Transrec 150s and the Nor large Norlands boom support for exercising, equipment maintenance, and so on. And then in the event of a response, uh, the subscriber agreement is used uh, to provide response services in the offshore. Um, and, and it certainly, it, it builds on our existing capability, Dan, to get to work in that environment, to get to deal with certainly the largest supply vessels in the world are working on the East Coast of Canada. Some of the largest equipment, some of the most challenging environments, uh, some of the newest technology, uh, all of that uh, certainly adds to the capability of ECRC. And like WCMRC, you're also the spill management team as well as, the, as what we in the United States would call the OSRO. Is that a true statement? Yeah, I think that that's true. It's um, we look up upon ourselves really as a specialized contractor that um, we serve at the request of I'll say the word polluter because that I think that's now the correct technical term, but uh, I'll also use responsible party interchangeably, or I might even say client. So really depends on our. I clients. always laugh when I hear the hear polluter. It's my my favorite. I, I know. Um, <laughs> it really depends on the needs of our client uh, and the scale of the response. Um, with 2,300 ship clients, you can imagine that some of them are single vessel foreign based. So for those, they really don't have any on-site presence. So ECRC is able to provide that management capability, uh, provide uh, the planning resources, so to, to satisfy the needs of the federal incident commander or, or whatever regulatory uh, body is, is, uh, is overseeing it. So we have an incident management team, we use ICS, and I like to think that we're quite nimble and flexible to stretch or contract if we're dealing with an oil major, 
then we may hold the fort for those initial uh, hours or days until they can bring in their team. And then we'll integrate, I would hope, uh, fairly seamlessly within their organization. So we've had situations where we can sit directly in the operations section or logistics or planning or, or finance um, and continue to provide our support. So I think that one of the strengths that we have is that we are the local knowledge. Uh, and of course, if we were there at the start of the spill, that gives us a leg up to continue on. Um, and so that's for the, you know, the, the, the large incident management team, we can fit in, or we can be kept uh, just to manage our own resources. Again, we, when we talk about ourselves, we pride ourselves on being flexible. Uh, and for that single vessel, foreign entity or foreign owned company that doesn't have a presence in Canada, uh, we are the face of the response. Uh, you know, they may identify a P&I club rep or an insurance rep or, or, or such to be their on the ground um, uh, representative, but we're really the ones that are producing the plans that support the response. Um, and I think that that's worked very well over the last uh, 25 years. Well, how about drills and exercises? What kind of exercises do you participate in to help keep your team tuned up? Well, we have what's called a tier one exercise. So that's, this is a, uh, an in-field operational exercise and uh, involved three vessels and one from Coast Guard. Uh, near shore um, was a, a sweep system. And we made contact with the local fire department who have a, a drone capability, um, talked to them and they were interested in testing and practicing uh, use of their drone. Um, and in this particular uh, exercise, they're able to uh, provided an opportunity for them to follow some targets uh, near shore. So we're probably a half a kilometer or less from the shore, uh, but we really got some terrific uh, uh, low altitude aerial imagery. Uh, and it was a spectacular weather day, uh, which is not always the case in, in Newfoundland. But uh, so drones are definitely, um, you know, an, an important capability. And it's something that's, the capability is rapidly developed. Um, we don't have in-house capability, but we recognize it through uh, our advisors. So we have a series of advisor contracts with about, I think about 150 in total uh, to support us. And some of them are specialized contractors like drone providers. Uh, and they've got the specialized training, the equipment, the insurance, and we're able to call upon them, them in the event of response. Um, so, so that's a terrific capability. Yeah, so since we did the drone podcast, which was the second one that I did, we actually deployed a drone in the field for response for the first time at least for me, we had a ship fire in Tacoma, Washington. It was the middle of the night. The vessel had taken on a almost a 15 degree list from firefighting water, the local fire department, Tacoma Fire. 
was putting water on it from hand lines on the shore and the fire boat. A couple of tugboats were also using their fire monitors. So they were pummeling this vessel with something like 20,000 gallons a minute of water. So I was fairly certain at one o'clock in the morning when I was on the phone that we were going to put the fire out by sinking the ship, you know, because that's what we do, right? But that's not what happened. And they had some uh, fuel tanks that were threatened and we mobilized for response. And right then when I had, uh, it was MSRC, it was the oil spill response organization. I asked them for their drone and they brought it. And we ended up having the drone operator standing on the dock right next to the battalion chief with the infrared camera on the drone. And they're looking at the hot, all the hot spots on the vessel and Tacoma Fire Department used that data to that tactical information to direct firefighting streams at the ship. They didn't have that capability. The drone was the star of the show. It made a huge difference there at you know, four, five o'clock in the morning. You could see exactly where on the ship the fire was burning, even though it was burning inside of the hull. Just an amazing capability. Yeah, it's certainly, and with the uh, the additional sensors, so everybody's familiar with with the optical, but being able to use uh, uh, infrared uh, gives a whole new perspective. Um, and and of course, I think that the the whole idea of remote sensing, and and uh, if I include uh, drones with that, and and of course branching out into satellite, uh, both uh, in particular for for. Uh, for radar-based satellite, and then vessel-based radar. Um, all of those technologies are improving our ability to understand the situation. And once you understand the situation, you're able to make tactical decisions, make strategic decisions uh, about what needs to be done. So to my mind, it's all of that. We're improving the response capability by improving the information we have access to. Um, and, and, and it's critical. Yeah, that's the case. A friend of mine has a big plaque above her desk and it says, confidence is the feeling you have before the situation is fully understood. Well, well you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and uh, there's a number of folks, of course, who uh, will remember, uh, Donald Rumsfeld's uh, famous statement about um, the unknown unknowns. Yes, we have the known uh, known, the known unknown, and then the unknown unknown. I think I got that right. I think you got that right. And uh, I do remind myself of it. It's, uh, it. It applies to a lot of what we do. And confidence, of course, is important. And I think as, as we chatted uh, before we started, confidence in being a response manager is important, but you always have to uh, to scale that back a bit to say, hmm, what else is there? What is it that I don't know? Yes, it's the issues that we're unaware of that come back to bite us. There's just a lot going on in response. There's a lot to think about in response. And, uh, you know, we use various tools. So incident management systems, 
we distribute the work uh, so it's manageable and then and we expand and contract as, as necessary but there is a lot to think about when you're trying to to manage a response well robert how has the global pandemic affected the way ecrc prepares for and responds to oil spills how's that affected your activities well dan you're you you're having this podcast uh during a pandemic and uh and that might have been a bit of a impetus for you i guess to, you may have had some more time at home uh to uh to allow you to do this so you know i, I think that we'll look upon look back upon the pandemic as a certainly as a time of challenge but I think we'll also look back upon it as a time of innovation, uh, growth, new experiences, uh, and I think on the positive side, uh, new opportunities. Uh, and I think about, you know, we're not at all pandemic specialists uh, within ECRC, but we are uh, emergency response specialists. And I think that one of the things that we were able to do very early on in the, in the pandemic was to pivot our thinking away from oil spills to think about how do we respond as an organization um, dealing with, with COVID-19. And of course, the restrictions and, and all of those challenges. And so we leveraged all of our incident management thinking um, we established objectives uh, right from the get-go. Uh, and this goes back, of course, more than a year now, but it's standard in the industry. It's always the protection of uh, health, safety, and wellness of our employees. And, and I'll stress wellness because I think even then we anticipated that the pandemic was gonna create wellness challenges for our staff. Uh, just the stress, the unknown, uh, what to expect. And, and throughout and thinking about the restrictions, of course, we still had a mandate to be prepared. And uh, we had, I, I talked about at the beginning, we had, we have 2,400 clients that are reliant upon us to be prepared. So we needed to think about how do we give them a degree of confidence in terms of what we're doing to be prepared. Uh, as essential as essential workers, and you know, with respect to a lot of other industry, uh, I think the last year has created a lot of um, angst in terms of industry and business continuity. So we integrated that into our thinking in terms of our managing operational budgets and capital programs and so on. So all of that uh, was managed by by a team. Um, we were able to pivot our incident management team. So we established functional teams similar to, to a standard ICS. So logistics, finance, planning, operations, uh, to think about, okay, how does that apply to, to the pandemic? And, and just on the logistics side, as an example, uh, when airlines were not flying or routes were canceled, uh, we had to think about alternative transport means uh, as one aspect. And uh, also, of course, we need PPE is a key aspect of safety and response. Well, you couldn't buy a Tyvek suit. Uh, 
uh, early on in the pandemic. So we had to think about where, what's our resources, what's our internal inventory, and uh, making sure that that was kept uh, strong. Uh, and, and we applied kind of all those things across each of our functional sections to come up with very strong processes, procedures, uh, and to put us in a good position development of guidance documents to guide us uh, in each, each uh, in our work. And then along the way, we discovered a few things that, you know, as emergency responders, remote work works pretty well. Uh, we still need to have a core team doing hands-on physical work, uh, and that will always be the case. But we were able to find that we were able to engage even more than we were before by simply uh, reaching out to each other uh, remotely. Uh, and so I think that those are some of the things that we're gonna take with us uh, after the pandemic, uh, remote engagement for exercising. And uh, we've done extensive number of exercises now through, through WebEx. Um, and I'm gonna say that they've worked very well. And I think we're able to leverage people from different response centers. Uh, so that it's no longer a spill in Nova Scotia, where we're just engaging the team in Nova Scotia. The spill is in Nova Scotia, but the team is really at any of our six offices uh, because they're able to participate, contribute, and, and make, a, a, make a real uh, impact and contribution. So, so I'm hopeful that that's something that uh, continues after uh, the pandemic is, is long behind us. I think that it will. And I've had similar experiences. I've done drills on Zoom, Teams, Adobe Connect, go to training. And I must say that I've really landed on Microsoft Teams as the platform for virtual command posts primarily because you can collaboratively edit Microsoft Office products like a Word document within that Teams environment. It takes a document that would otherwise be a single user document that you would have to share and deal with versions of into something that multiple people can edit at the same time. What is ECRC's role within the Global Response Network? Well, the Global Response Network, it's uh, some of the leading uh, response organizations from around the world. Um, they include Alaska Clean Seas, Australian Marine Oil Spill Center, uh, Clean Golf Associates, uh, ECRC, uh, MSRC in the US, uh, NOFO uh, in, in Norway, uh, OSR or OSRL uh, and Western Canada Marine Response Corporation. So as, as members uh, within the GRN, we look to collaboratively support each other from a preparedness perspective. And I think that that's best um, displayed through what are called the operational teams. So there's operational teams for uh, on water operations, remote sensing, alternative response uh, technology, um, and ice-covered waters. So 
each of the members provide um, provide uh, representatives to sit on those uh, committees as, as operational teams. And it's a really it's a real sharing opportunity between us. Uh, we have a number of meetings per year for each operational team. And I, I think you know the key benefit of it is understanding uh, and reinforcing and learning ideas about what others are doing. Uh, and I think that's in, in, in just in itself helps you understand, okay, we're on the right path. Uh, this is what MSRC is doing. This is what OSRL is doing, and we're doing something similar. So I, th I think that that's one aspect of it. And of course, you get to learn uh, new advancements. Um, technology is changing, and uh, not everybody adopts it at the same time. So being part of the GRN allows us to get that exposure, I would say, fairly quickly. Um, and that intimate shared experience of, yeah, we, we own this, this is how it's used, this is how it works, uh, and so on. And, um, and, you know, separate from the equipment side, uh, that strong relationship is critical. Uh, you never know when you may need advice, information uh, from another uh, organization who've, who've had a response experience that that you haven't had yourself. So that ability to reach out to a colleague um, is really invaluable. Uh, and we've been very strong supporters since the GRN's inception. Well, Robert, do you have any last thoughts on response before we bring this podcast to a close? Well, I say, Dan, that uh, within the response community, there, there are, there's a lot of diversity and um, while you can be a specialist, uh, there is a lot of value in being a generalist um, because you may find yourself sitting in any role. Uh, if we talk about incident management, all of the functional uh, sections, um, I think I, at this point I could sit in any of them uh, and make a contribution, uh, whether it's logistics or planning or finance or operations or response management. Well, Robert Starks, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your experiences and about ECRC response in Eastern Canada. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate the, the podcast series and uh, looking forward to new ones in the future. Well, that's it. Another episode of the Tactics Meeting is in the can. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm looking forward to starting to travel again and see some of you in person. I hope to run into all of you at Clean Pacific. Until then, stay safe and don't do anything stupid. <laughs>